All right, well, good morning again. We are in the month of March, and we are starting a series for the next few weeks called The Gospel According to David. And what we're going to do is a, what I would call a little character study, okay? Because here's the deal. As people who are living in the 21st century, who are trying to make sense of things, for those of us who are following Christ, we're trying to grow in our faith and become more like Jesus. Man, we all need people to follow. We need role models. Let me ask you this. How many of you all have or have had at some point in your life, maybe it's as a life example or maybe it's in a specific area in your life, you've had a role model, somebody that you look up to and follow? Okay, a lot of you have, all right? Um, all of us do. We need that. We need to, We need, it's really cool um, about the Bible, and we've said this before, is that it's a story. And within the story of Scripture, there's all, all types of men and women, all types of characters, um, many who are examples for us to follow uh, in some cases and failures to avoid in other cases. And so what we're going to do in this series is we're going to look at uh, one of the great men in all of Scripture. His name is David. Okay, his name is David. And you may ask the question, why David? Maybe you're familiar with the scriptures. You kind of understand why. Maybe you're maybe newer to the Bible and you would say, what, what, what is it about this guy that makes it, makes it worth studying? Okay? I want you to see this verse in Acts 13, verse 22. This is a phrase that I always think of when I think of the man David. Acts 13, verse 22. God says, I have found in David the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. So a lot of times what happens when, if you're familiar, been around church for a while, when we hear the name David, often what we think of is David was a man after God's own heart. And my prayer for me in my life of following Jesus is that God could look down at me and say, man, there is a guy who, who is after my own heart. He's got my heart, and I know he's going to pursue me and do everything that he can to follow my will. And I hope that's your prayer, too, that you'd be a man or a woman. But there's some other things, other thoughts that I have in my mind for why we would look at the character of David. Uh, he has a rags-to-riches story. Okay? He, he went from seeming obscurity to, to this big, famous kind of position or role, kind of a rags-to-riches um, story. He's an unlikely hero. He's an underdog, and I love that. I love those kind of stories. Uh, but also with David, he, he had a heart for God, but he was far from perfect, which is how many of our stories? <laughs> it's most of us, right? We have a heart for God, but this is a true life story. A guy who had a heart for God, but he wasn't without sin and wasn't without failure in his life. He became what I would call a warrior king. I mean, he was a soldier. He was tough. He was a man's man. He was strong. He was brave. And yet he started out as what I would call a poet shepherd. Okay, he was poetic and creative. He, he was a shepherd of sheep. He was a singer-songwriter, okay? A lot of the book of Psalms, which is a collection of Israel's um, songs, uh, David wrote many of the Psalms because he was a singer-songwriter, okay? So he had a sensitive side, right? He was, he was not just a warrior king, but he was a poet and a shepherd boy. He was also a key member in the family line of Jesus, okay, the Savior. He, he, so Jesus was a descendant of David, which he actually had statues made of him. Okay, maybe you remember if you saw the title slide for the series, um, you see the statue. Anybody familiar with that? It's from the Renaissance period, Michelangelo. Okay, this, there's this whole story about this sculpture. And I'm just telling you, when somebody sculpts you out of rock, I mean, you are the man, right? You deserve to be talked about and examined. And so we're going to look at 
the, the story of David over these next few weeks and some things that we can learn from his life. One of the things I like to do as a pastor is try to introduce you all to resources or things that can help you in your faith and in your relationship with God uh, outside of Sunday mornings, okay? And so one of the things I want to introduce you to, if you haven't heard of, of this organization, it's called The Bible Project, okay? And what they do is they produce um, these creative kind of um, videos that help us understand the story of Scripture, Okay, and so what I want to do for the next few minutes is I want to show you a video that gives an overview of the book of 1 Samuel. Okay, the book of 1 Samuel is where you see David kind of come on the scene and you see a, a, an overview of his life and, and the things we're going to talk about over the next few weeks. Okay, so this video will be a few minutes long. It involves some drawing, which I'm always a big fan of. All right, so just check out this video here. The books of 1st and 2nd Samuel, they're two separate books in our modern Bible. We're just going to cover the book of 1st Samuel in this video. So after Israel was rescued from slavery in Egypt, they made a covenant with God at Mount Sinai and eventually came into the promised land. And there Israel was supposed to be faithful to God and obey the covenant commands. Before the book of Samuel, judges showed how Israel failed at that task big time. It was a period of moral chaos and it showed Israel's need for wise faithful leaders. The book of Samuel provides an answer to that need. The book of Samuel's story focuses on three main characters. The prophet Samuel, where the book gets its name, and then King Saul, and after that, King David. And all three of them transitioned Israel from a group of tribes ruled by judges into a unified kingdom ruled by King David in Jerusalem. And the book of Samuel has a fascinating design that weaves the story of these three characters together in four main parts. Samuel, he's the key leader and prophet in the first section of the book, but then he also plays a key role in the next section, which is Saul's story, and it's told in two movements, Saul's rise to power and then his failures, and the second part is about his downfall and his tragic death, and then the drama of Saul's demise is matched by David's exciting rise to power, and then David's story is told in two movements. First, he rides the wave of his success, followed by his own tragic failure and the slow self-destruction of his family and then his kingdom, and see how this all unfolds. Part one picks up from the chaos of the book of Judges, and we're introduced to a touching story about a woman named Hannah. And she's grieved because she has never been able to have children. And by God's grace, she finally has a son named Samuel. And in joy, she sings this amazing poem in chapter 2. And the poem is all about how God opposes the proud and exalts the humble, about how despite tragedies and human evil, God is working out his purposes in history. And also it's about how God will one day raise up an anointed king for his people. Now Hannah's poem has been placed here at the beginning of the book to introduce these key themes that we're going to see throughout the whole story, like the next one. Samuel grows up and becomes a great prophet and leader for the people of Israel, at the same time that the Philistines rise to power as Israel's arch nemesis. And in this crucial battle, the Israelites get arrogant, and instead of praying and asking God for help, they trot out the Ark of the Covenant as this kind of magic trophy that will automatically grant them victory in battle. And so because of their arrogant presumption, God allows Israel to lose the battle and the Ark is stolen. So the Philistines, they take the ark and they place it in the temple of their god, Dagon. 
And then the God of Israel defeats the Philistines and the God Dagon without, obviously, and they send it back to Israel. And the point of this little story seems to be this. God is not Israel's trophy, and he opposes pride among the Philistines, but also among his own people. And so Israel needs to remain humble and obedient if they want to experience God's covenant blessing, which opens up into the next large section. The Israelites come to Samuel and they say, hey, we want a king like all the other nations have. Go find one for us. And so Samuel, he's kind of ticked off and he goes to consult with God. And God says, yes, their motives are all wrong, but if a king is what they want, give them one. And so we're introduced to the figure of Saul. Now, Saul is a tragic figure because he begins full of promise. He's tall, he's good looking, he's a perfect candidate for a king, but he has deep character flaws. He's dishonest, he lacks integrity, and he seems incapable of acknowledging his own mistakes. And so these flaws become his downfall. He wins some battles at the beginning, but his flaws run so deep, he eventually disqualifies himself by blatantly disobeying God's commands. And so the aging Samuel confronts Saul and Israel. He had warned the people that they would only benefit from a king who's humble and faithful to God. Otherwise, the kings of Israel will bring ruin. So he informs Saul that God is going to raise up a new king to replace, working behind the scenes to raise up that new king. It's an insignificant shepherd boy named David. He's the least likely candidate to be king, but the famous story of David and Goliath shows that God's choice of David is not based on his family status, but simply on his radical and humble trust in the God of Israel. And so this story embodies all of the themes of Hannah's poem. Proud Saul and Goliath are brought low, while humble David is exalted. From here, we watch Saul slowly descend into madness, while David rises to power. So David starts working for Saul as a general, and he's winning all of the battles, and he's also winning all of the fame. And so Saul gets jealous, and he starts chasing David around, hunting him, trying to kill him. David's done nothing wrong, and so David simply runs and waits in the wilderness. And here we see David's true character. He has multiple opportunities to kill Saul, but he doesn't. He simply trusts that despite Saul's evil, God will raise up a king for his people. What's interesting, too, is that many of the poems of David that you find in the book of Psalms are linked to this very period of his life, and they all express the same attitude of trust. And so this section of the book ends with Saul coming to a grisly death after losing a battle with the Philistines. First Samuel tells some of the most intricate, well-told stories you find in just putting them forward as character studies so that you can find yourself in them. So in Saul's story, we see a warning. It's crucial that we reflect on our own character flaws and how they harm us and other people. And with God's help, we need to humble ourselves and deal with our dark side so that Saul's story doesn't become ours. David, on the other hand, is presented as an example of patience and trust in God's timing in our lives. And so he's running in the wilderness, being chased by Saul. David had every reason to think that God had abandoned him, but that's not what he thinks. And so David's story encourages us to trust that despite human evil, God is working out his purposes to oppose the proud and to exalt the humble. And that's what 1 Samuel is all about. 
All right, I figured that would do a way better job than I could, all right, because all the drawing, I love that. Don't you love that? Um, I could watch those doodles all day long. Um, and I hope you will use that resource. You know, sometimes if you're reading through and you're like, the book of Leviticus, what is this all about? Let them draw you pictures and tell you what it's about. It's great, okay? Um, so this is the story of, of David that we're kind of jumping into. And so this morning, I want to talk about David's humble beginnings. And I just want to take a few minutes to look at a few things in, in David's life. And so we're going we're gonna to go to... 1 Samuel chapter 16, uh, if you want to start turning the pages, it's like the sounds of an angel's wings, all right? Doesn't that bless your heart? (laughs) Isn't that awesome? So let me hear the angels fluttering in the room, all right? Uh, So we're going to go to 1 Samuel 16 in just a moment, but to kind of give you the context for that, let me me set this up for a moment. What you see in the story is that Saul was the people's choice, okay? They wanted a king. They said, Samuel, get us a king. And so they went and found Samuel, or found Saul, who was, he looked the part. He was the tallest man, the most, the the best looking man in Israel. And so they said, he looks like a leader. Let's choose Saul to lead us. But what you, what you saw and what you heard here, um, you saw how the story ends, right? Did you see the, the graphic depiction of the sword through the chest? That was the best part of the whole thing. Um, but here's the deal. He had all kinds of character flaws and deficiencies that disqualified him. He, he, he threw away his, his role. In 1 Samuel 13, before we get to chapter 16, it says this about Saul. Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God with which he commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out, and this is where that phrase about David comes from. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. In other words, not after the people's heart. You have not kept what the Lord commanded you. And so what we see is that, that Saul looked the part, right? He was tall, dark, and handsome, and yet his character and his obedience to the Lord were lacking. And so God removed him. God pulled him out of that place. What God wanted was not a man after the people's heart. He wanted a man after his own heart. And this is where David comes along, okay? And so 1 Samuel chapter 16, we're going to kind of read through this, and I'm going to talk through this as we go. But in 1 Samuel 16, Samuel's kind of frustrated and upset because Saul is not God's man for the job. And it says in verse number one, the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And so the Lord says to Samuel, hey, Get over it, okay? I've, I've, I've chosen a king who is after my own heart, and so I want you to go, and you're going to anoint him. Verse number two, Samuel said, well, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. And invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall. The Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him trembling and said, do you come peaceably? Okay, so here's Samuel, this prophet, this leader who's coming to town, and they're kind of nervous. They're like, did we do something wrong? What's, what's going on? Why are you here? Are you here peaceably? Verse 5, and he said, peaceably, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. So 
Remember that the Lord said to, to Samuel, okay, there is one of the sons of Jesse who is going to be the king that you're going to anoint. Okay, so here's verse number six. Jesse and all of his sons come before him, and it says, when they came, he, or Samuel, looked on Eliab. He's the firstborn, okay? And he thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. So here's, here's what Samuel does. He looks at the sons of Jesse, and he sees the firstborn. He's probably the tallest, the strongest, right? He's, he's the, the most together. He's the one who looks like a leader. Samuel looks at him and goes, surely this is the guy. Surely this is God's man for the job, right? And he's looking out at the son, Eliab. Look at verse number seven. And this is, this is really the key text of, of this whole passage. Verse number seven. Or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man see, looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the what? The heart. He looks on the heart. So what the Lord says is, hey, everybody, man looks on the outward appearance, on what's going on on the outside. And he says, I don't look at things that way. I don't look at the outward. I don't look at the circumstance. I look beneath the surface. And he goes on in verse number eight. It says that Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. Okay, son number two. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Verse nine, then Jesse made Shammah pass by. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Okay, so do you get the scene of like picking out your team for dodgeball? And it's like, nope, you're not on my team. Nope, no, nope. no. He like goes through all of these sons. Verse number 10, and Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, are, are all your sons here? And he said, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he's keeping the sheep. In other words, yeah, oh yeah, there's one more left, but I mean, he's, he's like the runt of the family. He's, he's off doing his thing. He is, he is tending to the sheep, which was the lowest position in the family, okay? And Samuel said to Jesse, well, and he sent and brought him in. Now, he was ruddy, and he had beautiful eyes, and he was handsome. Okay, now if you're a man in the room, you're like, that's probably not the description I want to be told of me, right? You know what it means? You know what he was saying about this young David? He was a pretty boy, right? He was a pretty boy. He's probably wearing skinny jeans or something, you know, whatever. I don't know. And you're like, man, um, this, is, this is what you got left? But, but here was the deal. Look what the Lord said. Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. So here's the scene. All seven sons, the Lord says, nope, none of these, none of these, are, any more sons, any more kids? Yeah, the youngest one. So he's the youngest son. He's doing the lowliest job. He's on the, the, he's the lowest rung of the totem pole, right? Um, he's, he's, he's overlooked by dad, who's kind of like, oh, I guess I do have one more son, don't I? All right, okay. Bring, bring little David. He's a shepherd boy. Pretty boy, he comes, and it's like, surely, out of all these brothers, this little guy, no, no. But the Lord says, he's the man. He is the one. And what he does is it says that he anoints him with oil, which was the sign of... You understand something theologically here. This, this, was, this is not 
what happens today. When you and I put our faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes within us, comes to take up residence within us, and we never lose the Holy Spirit. But what God, the way God worked in previous times was the Holy Spirit would come upon a person, okay? That's why at Pentecost, the big deal was the Holy Spirit came, it dwelt on them and in them. But the way God used to work was God's Spirit would come upon a person and, and equip them and guide them. And so if you remember a few weeks ago, we were in Psalm 51 where David is praying, he's repenting before the Lord, and he says, Lord, don't, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Okay, that's something that we don't have to pray today because when we receive the Holy Spirit, he doesn't go from us. But what David was, was, what was happening with David was the Holy Spirit came upon him and his leadership, his presence in his life was on his, his life from that day forward. And so what happens is David is anointed to be king and one day he would become the king. But it wasn't gonna happen for, for years. Okay, and so it's kind of like this, 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 this prophecy being spoken over your life, like, man, God's going to do amazing things with your life. You're going to get to do this and this, and you're going to be in this power, in position of power and authority and influence, but it's going to be 10 years down the road. And this will see a few things in, in the story of David. And here, here's the bottom line this morning, and it's straight out of verse number seven that we just saw, okay? Here's the bottom line. The Lord sees not as man sees. The Lord sees not as man sees. And every single one of us in the room should be like, amen. The Lord doesn't look on the outward appearance and on the outside of things like we do. He sees so far beneath that. We see our circumstances. We see what's in front of us, what we can put our hands on. And yet the Lord sees underneath all of that. He doesn't see the way that we see. And so sometimes we pray according to what we see and God answers according to what he knows is true and what is deeper than what we see with our eyes. And I wanna say this, you know, he looks on the, the heart, not the outward appearance. Okay, this doesn't mean that you, you can, you have to be ugly for God to use you, all right? Because you saw the story of David. He was still a handsome young man, right? So you can look the part on the outside that's, that's okay. God is okay with that. But where he looks primarily, where he looks first is not the outside. It's the heart. It's the inside. And so it's okay to look the part on the outside, but you better fit the part. This whole, this whole story of, you know, Saul being the tall, dark, handsome guy who looks the part, but he really, he, he wasn't the guy. And here's little, like, scrawny little pretty boy David who is God's man for the job. And, and you've, heard, you've heard the old adage, don't judge a book by its cover, right? I want to show you the poster boy for don't judge a book by its cover. All right, here's the picture. Okay, anybody recognize that picture? You know who that is? Tom Brady, some of you are like, what is that? What are you doing? <laughs> All right, this is Tom Brady 20 years ago, okay? Because why I bring this up, and we're gonna just keep this very uncomfortable picture on the screen for a few minutes, all right? We're gonna just like pause in our uncomfortable ability, <laughs> right? Uh, so 20 years ago, this guy coming out of, I shouldn't even say it, the University of Michigan, okay? I'm an Ohio guy, so it pains me to use this guy as an illustration. Um, 20 years ago, Tom Brady um, was, was part of this NFL scouting combine, which we, we were just in that period this past week in the NFL where 
college football players, they spend a few days, a week, where they are, they are judged and measured based on how fast they are, how fast they run a 40, uh, how high they can jump, all these drills, um, their height, their weight, all of these things. And these prospective NFL players come and their rate is, is, is people, uh, these players are judged by their measurables. Okay, all those things that you can measure. And what happens every single year is you have these you have these players who, they kill it. They're called workout wonders. They kill it physically in all these drills and all these things, and all these scouts are drooling because they're like, oh my goodness, this guy is going to be an amazing player just because they have all these measurable qualities. And they go into the, the NFL and they tank. Like, they're the worst players. They don't last. Why? It's because you judge them off of the outward stuff. They looked the part, they were fast, they were strong, all these things, but they did not survive. And the story of Tom Brady is that he was drafted number 199, uh, I believe was, was the right number, 199 in the sixth round, which was like, he was in essence like the pretty shepherd boy, right? That was like look, overlooked by all the scouts and all the teams that were like, this guy, look at him. I mean, look at him. He's just standing there. <laughs> and like, this, is, this does not have the ring of like the superstar player, right? It's like, man, that guy could be like my little brother. He just looks lame there, okay? And pick number 199, like towards the end of this draft. You know what he looks like today? This is Tom Brady today. Guy with six Super Bowl rings. The GOAT, the greatest of all time. This dude is unparalleled. Um, and I, it pains me to say this. I can't stand Michigan guys. Okay, but this is him. This is his story. All right. He is the poster boy for don't judge a book by its cover. And so every single year at this time of the year, every year that picture of him comes up in all of the NFL stuff because everyone's like, there's a diamond in the rough somewhere in there. Look at Tom Brady. He is the poster boy for this. So don't judge based on all the measurables Look at the intangibles. Look at the heart. Because you know what Tom Brady has? Again, I hate to say this. He has the heart of a champion. Boy can ball. He is, he's got all the stuff inside. But if all you were doing was measuring him by the way he appears, you would go, forget it. Pass on him, right? And the story for us is, man, if people judge us based on the outward appearance, and we're always trying to pose and put up, play the part and look the part. And God says, no, no, I don't see the way that others see. I don't, I don't look on the outward appearance. I look at the heart. I look at the heart. And so there's, there's a few quick things that I want to see from, from David, from his humble beginnings, okay? Beginnings, just for the next couple minutes. Here's the first thing I want to, I want to say. God chooses us and uses us by his grace. God chooses us and uses us by his grace. What you see in the story of David is that David, later on, he was a giant killer. I mean, he did big things. You get that? There's a pun there, okay. Y'all aren't with me, all right? Okay, he did big things. He killed giants. He did spectacular, special things. But at this point in the life of David, he had done nothing noteworthy of. I mean, he was obscure as could be. He was a no-name. 
He had done nothing to earn or deserve this kind of favor and notoriety, this kind of position. And the same thing goes for you and for, for me, that God chooses us and uses us by his grace. He doesn't look at us in all of our accomplishments and all of, of our appearance and all these things that we bring to the table. No, he chooses us and uses us by his grace. Not because of our merit or our worth, but he chooses to set his love and affection on us and he chooses to use us. In fact, Romans 5 verse 8 says it this way, that while we were still sinners, while we were still dead in our offer him, by his grace still he chose us and loved us. And so that's the first thing I want us to see from his humble beginnings. God chooses us and uses us by his grace. Here's the second thing that I wanna mention. God doesn't care about our fame, but our faithfulness. God doesn't care about our fame, but our faithfulness. You know, David, again, he was the low man on the, the totem pole. He was overlooked, but man, he was faithful, wasn't he? He was faithful. And he would, again, he would go on to be famous. But the reason he was a man after God's own heart wasn't because he was famous, because he did a lot of big things. It was because he was faithful to the Lord in everything and all that he did through the highs and the lows, through the failures and the victories. You know, one of the things I talk about a lot is, is social media and because it's such a thing in our, our generation. The, the flavor of the day right now is an app called TikTok and there's some of you young people that probably use this. If you don't know about TikTok, it's a re there's a reason why. It's because kids don't want you to know about it, right? TikTok is, is super popular right now, um, and it's just short little videos, et cetera, et cetera. Um, one of the draws, and, and this isn't the main one, but one of the draws with this app now is the ability for a no-name, obscure teenager or can share a dumb video that will make you laugh or make you share it or go viral, and all of a sudden, somebody who is a no-name within you know, a couple days or a week can have hundreds of thousands of followers. Okay, and that's part of one of, one of the draws of, of, of social media and YouTube and all this stuff is there's instant fame, right? And I know teenagers should be like, that's not why I do it, but there is a, a huge draw for many for this. I read an article this past week about a teenager who said, I'm done with this, I'm not doing it because of this addiction that I have to trying to you know, pose and win favor and have people follow me and like me and all this stuff and it ends up leading to emptiness. But that's one of the draws of, of our generation is we wanna be known, we, we wanna stand out from the crowd. I don't wanna just be a kid that's slugging my way through the day at Lugoff Elgin or Camden or whatever. I want to be known. And that's a draw for all of us in different ways is to have some kind of fame to be known. And, and I wanna tell you the story of this guy named Dwight Moody, D.L. Moody. Have any of you ever heard of D.L. Moody in your life? Okay, he is, he is one of the most effective evangelists of the late 1800s, okay? So if you haven't heard of him, there's a reason why, okay? Because he's old and dead, or he's dead and gone, or whatever, okay? But he, he literally led thousands of people to Christ. I mean, he changed the eternity for so many people. And you know how his story starts? It's through a Sunday school teacher. When he was a teenager, a Sunday school teacher named Edward Kimball. Have any of you ever heard of Edward Kimball? Anybody? Okay, one of you have. Okay, that's, that's good. That's it, right? And this was the man who was a Sunday school teacher who led this troubled teenager to Christ. 
this troubled teenager would go on to lead thousands of people to Jesus. And God used him in a big way because he came, became, in a sense, famous. And you know, you know how he got there? Through an obscure, no-name Sunday school teacher who invested his life, took a chance on this troubled kid, invested in his life. He never became a name. He was a no-name for the rest of his life. But you know what? The guy he invested in went on to change so many people's lives. And here's the deal. God doesn't care about your fame. You can become famous and God can use you in that. But what God cares about most is your faithfulness. Because what is going to happen for most of us in this room is we will never, ever be famous. We will never have our name up in lights. Nobody's going to recognize who Andrew Tate is or any of y'all are. We're going to be overlooked we're going to be seemingly no-name, obscure people. And yet, God will, God can and will use our lives and our faithfulness to him to turn the world upside down in the lives of other people. But it's not about our, our fame. In fact, here's the deal. God doesn't care about your fame. What he cares primarily about is the fame of his name. And some of us, we are living to achieve fame for us when the thing that God has called us to is to live for the fame of the name of God. And if we would make him famous, man, we would change the world. If we would remember, God doesn't care about me getting famous. He cares about his name being up in lights and being glorified. So God doesn't care about our fame, but our, our faithfulness. Here's the third and last thing that I want to point us to, and we'll wrap up here. Jesus is the true and better David. Jesus is the true and better David. What you see with, with David is he was chosen and he was anointed and he was raised up to fulfill the, the plan of God for the nation of Israel. And just like David was raised up as king to fulfill God's plan for the nation of Israel, Jesus Christ was chosen and anointed and raised up to fulfill God's plan for all of humankind, to redeem us follow. It is great to look at his life and say, man, I wanna be a man after God's own heart. And I hope, I hope there are people in your life, men or women in your life that you point to and you watch their life and you go, man, they follow God and man, I wanna live that kind of a life and I wanna honor God like that. And I wanna be that type of a man or a woman or husband or wife or father or mother or whatever it is. I hope you have examples that you follow and that you look to. But the best example, the best example is not even David, it's Jesus. He is the example that all of this is pointing to. Jesus was the true and better David. He is the true and better king. You see, David was the greatest king in all the history of Israel. He was the greatest earthly king. But the greatest king is the true and better David, the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And what we are trying to point to is not just David as an example, but ultimately the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the only perfect example for us. Jesus is the true and better David. And so let me remind you again of this big idea this morning. The bottom line is this. The Lord sees not as man sees. 
the Lord beyond the surface. He looks beyond the surface. He looks beyond your appearance. He looks beyond your position. He looks beyond your accomplishments. He's looking into your heart. And that is what he wants. He wants your heart. He wants the affection of your heart for him. He wants your faithfulness to him. That is what he's looking for. And so let me give you permission. You don't have to posture or pose or try to prove anything to God because he's not looking at your outward appearance. He's not looking at how you carry yourself and the things that you do and all the stuff. He's looking primarily at your heart. He's looking at your heart, and what he wants is your heart devotion to him. And so the most important thing that you and I could do today is not play the part, is not look the part. It's to submit our hearts to him fully. Amen. Let's pray. Father, this morning, thank you for who you are. Thank you that you don't judge us by our cover. God, you are looking into our hearts. You desire worship from the inside out. And Lord, I thank you for the example of David that we are talking about this morning and through the next few weeks. God, I know the failures that, that we'll, we'll learn from, that we can avoid, hopefully, God, by your grace. And yet, Lord, I want more than anything for for us, for our eyes, for our hearts to be turned towards you, that we would realize that, that you, the Lord Jesus, you are the true and better David. You are the king of all kings, and you are the one that we want to pattern our lives after. You are the one that we want to follow. You are the one that we give our hearts to. We can look at and examine and learn from the life of David, but you are the one that we give our hearts to. And so, God, thank you that this morning, as you look down on this group of people, God, you see below our circumstances. You see beneath the surface. God, even the smiles that some of us are faking this morning, you see beneath that. God, you see into our hearts. And you're not looking for perfection. You're just looking for submitted, faithful hearts. And so, God, I pray that as we continue to worship you this morning, God, that our hearts would be open, that we would, our hearts would be laid bare before you, God, that we wouldn't try to cover them up or, or again, posture for you or anybody else, but, God, that we would open ourselves and our hearts to you, that we would worship you from, move into this continued time of worship through offering and through communion. God, would you meet with us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.